Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray now driving as we wander some of the back roads and byways that make up this ridiculous game. Many of you all seen the announcement in the last couple of days about changes to the rules of golf, a process that's undertaken about every four years. This edition of those changes is, for the most part, pretty bland except in one particular and very special area. For the first time ever, there are now specific rules of play covering golfers with a disability. All abilities golf is a growing area of the game, and on today's episode, we're going to meet a man who's been a champion for and of all abilities golf since an accident in 2008 left him a quadriplegic. In Power Golf's James Gribble along in just a moment to chat all things golf. But first, to my fellow adventurers on this audio journey, as always, it's Adrian Logue atop the introduction pecking order. That's reward, Logue, for being here since back in the ice golf days and missing, I think, just two episodes of the journey, which coincidentally, if I'm not... <laughs> we won an award. Were they for award winners? Maybe both, both of them. <laughs> Quite possibly. I don't know if it's a coincidence or not. Well, getting introduced first is an enormous reward. That <laughs> That's right. Every week you look forward to yeah. it with uh, Vim and Vigor. Good to have you aboard today and looking forward to chatting about this topic. Back from his Thailand adventure, covering some of the best amateurs in the game. It's Golf Australia Deputy Editor and good, good Johnny-come-lately, Jimmy Emanuel. Jimmy, good to see you made it back. Yeah, I did make it back in one piece, surprisingly, <laughs> according to a lot of people involved in golf, but that's Give, okay. Given that you're Gen X, that is surprising. I was. It was a little tight to get my bus transfer, I've got to say, from the beach bar at Patea that I was at until the wee hours of the morning and making sure I was on my 8.30 flight, but I got there. Well done to you. Thank you. That's an achievement. Did you say he's Gen X? Isn't he Gen X? No. What are you, Gen We've Z? Been through this. I have no idea. Millennial. I don't care. He doesn't know. know. He doesn't care, but he's not Gen X. and He's also not young. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Enough about us. Let's get to our guest this week to talk about some really important issues about golf and accessibility. James Gribble is the founder of Empower Golf, whose mission statement reads like this. Empower is a full-service disability recreation not-for-profit organisation whose mission is to facilitate and promote the world's most inclusive sport for people living with disabilities. James, welcome. The world's most inclusive sport is an interesting choice of words. Has that just become more true of golf with these changes to the rules? You could definitely argue that that's that's the case. It's uh, it's a massive step for for us. We've been you know plugging away in the disabled golf industry for you know me myself probably about eight years now, and um, yeah, I mean we've come a long way. But yeah, certainly it does help for that inclusion. If that you know it's sort of like the catch catchphrase, but um, to make it you know into the rules definitely is a, is a great step. We might come to some of the specifics of the rules and your thoughts on that. I don't know whether they got your input, but I imagine that you've, you'd be no doubt aware of sort of what's going on there. I, I assume that most golfers assume that golfers with a disability, you yourself use a paragolfer, you're quadriplegic, uh, it's, which is an extraordinary machine if you haven't seen one. We just assume that that would be just a recreational thing, but that's dumb, isn't it? If you play golf, you'd like to play comp, wouldn't you? And if you're going to play comp, you've got to have rules that work for everyone in the comp, yeah? Indeed, indeed. I think... Uh Obviously, competition golf's not for everybody, but definitely for a lot of our players, it's a it's a great way to you know to add to their bow and also the really good ones you know go and travel overseas and compete internationally like like any professional golfer. So um, definitely, it's something that more and more people in our in our sphere of of, of golf the golfing world. Want to, want to be part of. So. Here in Australia, we've talked about this before. It's almost impossible to avoid competition golf. If you want to play golf, at some point you're going to stumble <laughs> either into the middle of or the back or front end of a competition because we play so much of it here. Mm. I want to take a step back before we talk about the rules, James, and we also want to get a bit of your backstory for those who might not be familiar. I'm really intrigued by those words, the world's most inclusive sport. Tease that out for me a bit. 
Well, I'm probably slightly biased, but I think there's a few simple, very simple things. One is the is the handicap system. So there's very other sport, very few other sports out there that actually have a, a handicap system, which basically means you know anyone with any disability can 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 play uh, or any ability can play against one another. So you know if I wanted to go and play wheelchair tennis against an able-bodied person. You know, it'd be a pretty boring game to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> You're hiding to nothing. Whereas, you know, I can pitch up on my local golf course, my para golfer, you know, be introduced to some you know, stranger and have a game with them. I can go down and play with my, my niece, you know, a golf pro and friends. And just by the handicap system, that's a massive part of making it inclusive. Mm-hmm. I think um, the the other part, which is a big, really attractive from a, from a person with disabilities point of view is that, it means that we don't have to go and play the sport. We don't have to play with other people with disabilities necessarily. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sport out there that's focused. You have to be disabled to play it yep. or vice versa. And the fact that, um, that in golf you don't have to do that, you can literally, I, I certainly you know, always, you know, I've, I'll play with other people with disabilities, but certainly playing with my old friends and my mates and my family were a big attraction of golf. And I guess that, those two reasons are probably why we say, yeah, it's probably one of the most inclusive sports on the planet. That's a direct result of the handicapping system, of course, whereas other sports, as you say, with tennis, you've got to be somewhat um, matched levels of ability, (laughs) otherwise it does become somewhat silly. It's broader in the sense, I suppose, James, as well, beyond just that. We know golf's under pressure, and this is one of the things we bang on about here all the time, is particularly public golf. You know, you've got all these people who'd like to close down public golf courses, turn them into parks, or do other things with them. We don't see uh, sporting fields, football fields, netball, hockey pitches coming under this sort of pressure, and yet none of those sports can do for people with a disability what golf can, and I wonder what role that might have to play in some of those discussions. I tagged Clover Moore and a couple of others who've been vocal about this stuff in the past in a retweet of one of Sandy Jamison's tweets this morning about uh, 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 one of his guys down in Oakley who finished his first nine-hole round, a guy with an intellectual disability, and finished his first nine-hole round. It's an amazing story. We don't tell those stories enough, do we, James? And, and other sports can't tell those stories. Golf needs to, don't they? Don't we? Oh, 100%. I think the, the other thing, especially in Australia, but, but equally in a lot of other countries in the world, that we just have incredible golfing infrastructure that's been around for, for a long time. And we should celebrate that. You know, every little country town, pretty much you drive across, you know, any of the states, there'll be a, the heart of the community is the, is the golf club. And, and it's not, you know, we, we all know this, but, you know, the actual, you know, the, the physical act of hitting the ball around the, around the golf course is probably 5 to 10% of the experience for people that, that enjoy the game. If you break, I often say to people, you know, golf is a bit like church for some people. It's, you know, they do, they go, it's, a, it's an annual weekly routine. They catch up with a lot of people, like-minded people. And, um, and if they miss it, then it's a massive part of their sort of socialising community for the, for the week. And, you know, in terms of this you know, sort of green space argument that we're talking about and useful using, using land efficiency and sustainability, I think the golf industry should be at the forefront of making that even, even more important because there's so much of the land that already exists as golf courses out there. And, um, and as you say, you know, in a world where technology and time and all these other things are just changing society, we need community, we need, you know, environments where we can all feel comfortable and, and get away from all of these things that are actually causing a lot of stress. So I think it's a it's a prime time for the golf industry to stand up and, 
and really promote the fact that there's already so much great green space out there and we should be protecting that and even making it better. Mm. And, and in terms of sporting facilities, golf can serve a much broader segment of the community than any other, from children as young as five, sometimes even younger, right up to people who are in their 90s and even into their 100s. Logue, you look like you've got something to say. Uh, well, I thought we could just quickly go through the rule. The, there's a new Rule 25 mm-hmm. um, with four sub-rules. It's actually got like six sub-rules. But the- it's golf. It's got a bunch <coughs> of sub-rules. And it's super complicated. Exception four. (laughs) It pushes the new rules that were simplified from 34 rules to 24 or something in 2019 to over, like the actual document is over 200, well over 200 pages now. If anybody out there's got anything to say about the rules, feel free to email, Logue. I'll leave you (laughs) address in the show notes. Um, It's complex, isn't it? I mean, there's a big complicated playing field the golf course isn't it and a lot of scenarios just can come up and they try and cover them all off exactly you, yeah. you, you couldn't do the rules any other way and all those who no, think they can right. invariably run into an issue where it's like oh well you couldn't possibly what do you do in this situation? you couldn't possibly have thought of that yeah, it's a big varied <laughs> well they, yeah, yeah they almost always have haven't they especially with the decisions book Including anyway losing the main piece of equipment you use to play the ball You've got to have rules to cover that. You know, what other sports is that? You know, yeah. In the middle of a footy match, oh, we've lost the ball. No, yeah. That just doesn't happen. In golf, it happens all the time. No ball. Anyway. Um, so we've got rule 25-2. I think rules people go 25-2, or do they say 25-2? Yeah, they say two? dash. They, do they say dash? I think so. One of the, If you get that wrong, you're sort of labelling yourself as a as a newbie, I think, with rules. I have no issue with labelling myself as a newbie as it relates to the rules because <laughs> – Do you know, James? What, what is it? I think I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd, be, I'd fall into that category as well, I think. I think. I'm just going to say 25.2 is modifications for golfers who are blind. Uh, we've got rule 25.3, modifications for golfers who are amputees. 25.4, modifications for golfers who use assistive mobility devices. And 25.5, modifications for golfers with intellectual disabilities. And – when you go through and read the actual rules, they're very sensible. Um, uh, there's obviously been a lot of thought put into these about the real-world problems that are faced by um, golfers with a disability uh, when they're out on a course. And, you know, an example is, uh, you know, a, a player, uh, a golfer who's blind is able to ground the club very lightly behind the ball in a bunker. Um, and, you know, they're not allowed to improve their lie, it's an interesting read, actually, to go through uh, and have a look at the document. We'll put a link in the show notes. Oh, to, good. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be good. Um, and and see where it says, okay, you can do this, but you can't. Here's the limit of what you're able to do because uh, – This is an accommodation, not an exception where you exactly. get to have a different rule. It's just an accommodation. Exactly. The way the rules and there's a number of recurring themes, like golfers who are blind, they have an aid – and an aide can be in, a, in addition to a caddy, but they're still not allowed. The aide isn't allowed to, to be a caddy as well. As well. Yep. So, like, they can't handle handle clubs and give them clubs and stuff like that. Otherwise, that would be having two caddies. And that is so, so golf, isn't it? It is. Uh, <laughs> I, found, I found that fascinating, yeah. though. Like, that <laughs> so was golf. That was the thing that struck me reading these rules. It's like, oh, there's these limits to yeah. what you can do. But um, even another very practical one that I've spotted in there is about anchoring clubs for yes to be able to make a swing at the golf ball and and stance and all that sort of stuff because ping do a lot of adaptive fitting for all abilities golfers and when there's all sorts of you know things with amputees and everything like that and building clubs that can be anchored into a point that makes it work to be able to have that under the rules is so important rather than 
having someone who's doing everything they can to play golf and then say, oh, but this, you know, it's not covered in the rules. Yeah. That's that's very practical, which surprises me for golf a little bit. It opens up a whole world, doesn't it, James? I imagine most golfers with disability are like most golfers. You might start playing the game for one reason, and it may well be for many people with a disability, it's the first time they've encountered golf. We'll, we'll talk about this later, but I imagine when something happens like what happened with your accident, you get a lot of can't. You can't do this, James. You can't do that. Golf is one thing that for a lot of people in that situation is a can. So they might try it because it's one of the few things they can do at the moment. They get hooked. Once you get hooked, what do you want to do? You want to play comp. Mm. You get to play comp and suddenly discover, well, these rules aren't Mm. – you're back to sort of can't. So have you encountered that situation? So have you had issues about rules using the paraglider and whatnot in comps? I assume you've read these pretty closely. Are there any obvious bits they've missed in here? We rarely get the rules right first time around. And just broadly speaking, does that sound – is that – am I on the money with sort of the way I'm thinking about how people get drawn into the game? Oh, I think certainly that certainly you get dressed in, you get um, drawn in for sure. And then once you, yeah, the natural progression is, well, you know, once you get great example before, you know, once you get up to a point where you can play whatever it is, three holes, one hole, nine holes, um, you're automatically thinking, okay, well, what's next? And, um, you know, I think, as you said, these, it's, you know, it's great that these are actually now, you know, embedded in the actual, you know, global rules of golf. So there's no, there was a lot of ambiguity especially, you know, course to course, facility to facility around, you know, which, you know, there's a lot of local rules that clubs were putting in to sort of, you know, address the fact that they weren't in the, you know, the RNA official document. Um, but I would say to answer your question, there is, you know, this is a great start, but it'll, it'll just be one of many, you know, the, 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 the kind of permutations of, of, of what the start is over the next couple of years. But uh, certainly... From my perspective, you know, as a as a paragolf player, um, you know, I, I think and we mentioned this earlier, but you know, there's a there's a there's a key one on there about playing out of the bunker, and you know, there's a penalty shot for someone you know like me who, if you can't actually get into the bunker with a with a, in a paragolfer, which you know, I'd say seventy percent of the golf of the golf courses we play, um, or the, the bunkers that we we get to, you, know, you probably can't get in. Then there's a there's a penalty shot now. You know, some people would say that's quite harsh. Some people would say, you know, if, if you gave them a, gave us a, a straight drop out of a bunker, then you could play, you know, tactically play, you know, for bunkers, um, especially on some of these, you know, the, the punchy links courses out there. So I don't know, you know, what's the, what's the answer? I was, I was joking with a friend the other day that you have, you know, one in every three bunkers you get a, you know, a free drop <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah, you need a half shot penalty. Um, a bunker mulligan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so don't hit it in the bunkers, James. <laughs> I was going to say, that's yeah. a typical golf response, yeah. isn't it? Don't hit it in there. So, but, you know, and then, you know, then, because certainly, you, you, I mean, I love hitting, you know, bunker shots. Like, it's not it's not a penalty for me. You know, so, some other people, like, this happens that I like them, but. A lot of other people would have, probably have the entire opposite. If you gave them a drop out of a bunker, they'd have to take it every day of the week. Um, so, you know, certainly little examples like that. I think the other, from a, again, practical point of view, one of the things with the paragolf for out on course, um, especially when you're putting, is because you, you come at right angle, you kind of come at right angles to the ball for a putt, to sort of putt, you know, I'm right-handed putt, you know, right to left. Then if you've got a very short putt, um, and then you have to drive forward because we, we don't like to turn on the greens for obvious reasons. Then, you know, you if you've got a 50 centimetre or almost like a gimme range putt and you need to still, you know, stand up, make that putt and then drive forward and the hole's, you know, the hole's almost going to be on your inside wheel. So that's one of the things that I think, 
yeah, maybe they'll address it as well. Um, I don't know if I'm articulating that correctly, but yeah, you just don't want to be driving anywhere near the actual hole itself. No. Yeah, no. you don't want to be turning or backing off, no. backing off the green. Um, the people, a- people in wheelchairs never miss gimme parts anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> it probably be just a, a good thing to do. There was a very sensible rule in there, I think, where y- you can uh, move your ball back into position with a club. With a club, rather yeah. than to use your hand. You don't right. have yeah. to sort of reach down. You can yeah. just sort of shuffle a ball back into position. And- Were you consulted in any way, James, either uh, informally or formally, or anybody you know consulted about what they were planning to do with the rules? Oh, I'd say I, I informally consulted to, to the people in charge. You, you had some input. Uh, is that how you'd put it? Yeah. Look, I think it's it's a. I mean, there's there's a lot of voices that had come from you know all of the the disabled golf community around the world, but certainly in Australia, uh, one of the you know the, the key band, in my opinion, has been a gentleman called um, Christian Hamilton, who's who's really been at the for even before he was working with Golf Australia, was pretty much you know the the, the forefront of disability golf. Um, and, and and driving it and making it a, you know become a, you know, just a normal part of the landscape. He's been exemplary, and he's also now I think part of the you know the 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 international one of the international boards that sort of gets involved with these things. So he's been probably the person who's heard a lot of my my personal kind of opinions on it. But I think it's a combined it's a combined sort of effort from a lot of people who play and a lot of the competitions that run. You know, just trying to funnel what are the ones that are the most prominent and get those kind of sorted. And then, you know, as I say, this, yeah. will, this will be something that's going as the game develops. Well, we change the rules every four years, don't we, as it stands? So it'll just come under that. Just a shout-out to Christian Hamilton. Yeah. He might not be human, actually, Mighty James. Is he some kind of an angel, perhaps, Christian? There's something about him that's world, isn't there? And oh. in fairness, he, he may be almost single-handedly responsible for the international success of All Abilities Golf, not the least of that being having All Abilities players in the field at the Australian Open with the regular tournament players on a Sunday afternoon, which is just beyond extraordinary to have had that happen. And now you now see the All Abilities players at virtually every European tour event. It's just – and he's been almost single-handedly responsible for that, I think. Yeah, I, have to, I couldn't agree with you more. He's been, um, he's been right up there. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of people who would agree with me out there. So, yeah, yeah definitely a big shout-out to him. Yeah. And, he, and, he, and he hasn't – he's not done yet. He's always looking to the, you know, to the future. I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, Paralympic, you know, inclusion. Yeah. Actually, even, even Commonwealth, you know, para they call it Commonwealth Paralympics mm-hmm. um, as a as a show sport um, in the next sort of five six years. But certainly, you know, in Brisbane for Brisbane in in twenty thirty two, I'd say there's a very strong likelihood that those those categories that you mentioned in the rules of golf, so blind, amputee, mobility devices, and intellectual disabilities, will all be yeah. um, competing as a you know, Paralympics, which is obviously selfishly a great thing for someone like me. All all sporting pursuits selfish ultimately, isn't it? Really? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, So, yeah, so and and even even things like, you know, they played, they had a US Adaptive Open, you know, a couple of months ago and they played, you know, at Pinehurst, number two. um, And as some of you had seen, you know, in the lead up to the the Open at St Andrews this year, you know, there was a, sort of showcase event with people in paragolfers, you know, amputees all playing on the old course, you know, in the lead up. So there's certainly a day in the next couple of years where we'll be playing alongside all of the able-bodied players and the women, you know, sort of men's and women and all abilities at, you know, the majors, a bit like, you know, Dylan Alcott playing Wimbledon or the Australian Open tennis. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a very exciting time to be, 
in the sort of inclusion all abilities golf space and um yeah, it's certainly not stopping, can't, stopping him. Can't drive it on hard enough. And golf, of all the sports, is the one that really lends itself to that at every level, including the very top level. Just last thing on Hamo, infuriatingly humble as well. Mm-hmm. Hamo, would you make a mistake, mate? Is that too much to ask? Just put one foot wrong at some point so we can... Yeah. Uh, he makes, he's one of those people, he makes me feel like a bad person. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Every yeah. single time I go to an event, I see yeah. Hamo, and he's so nice and, yeah. yeah, asking about what's going on with you and he's yeah. done something unbelievable. That's exactly yeah. right. I, it's I, just, like, I feel like a piece of dirt yeah. or something yeah. Yeah. Around him. Right. <laughs> no. Enough about <laughs> one of the guys have a lot to look. James, broad, more broadly, this is important stuff, and it's it's sort of moving a section of golf forward. Those who are sort of already into golf. What about the importance of golf for people with disability? I think we, I sort of touched on it before. I know you were a golfer before your accident. Not everybody is. Tell us a little bit about your story, and then maybe tease out a bit of that. What role golf can play in rehabilitation and a fuller life for people whose life is changed by accident or illness in a direction they weren't expecting or necessarily wanting? Okay, probably yeah, quickly, you know, I had an accident in 2008. I, um, I've been working in London for almost a decade and got myself in a position where I wanted to go and do in a bit of travel and go and do some few more sort of um, humanitarian projects, I guess. I found myself up in Africa and um, a couple of weeks into that trip, unfortunately, after a long run, I, I kind of sat down um, to recover and, and in hindsight I must have been dehydrated or something, but um, all I remember is feeling a little bit lightheaded and uh, apparently had blacked out and fell backwards off a stool, landed on my head and uh, fell awkwardly, broke my neck, damaged my spinal cord and um, you know, a couple of days later I was being told that you know I was going to be a quadriplegic and uh, you know never walk again, etc. So... You know, it's a, um, you know, obviously that, that's a life-changing thing that doesn't doesn't happen every day. And like anyone, you know, when something so dramatic happens to you, you know, that's just totally unfathomable, you um, you kind of, early days you sort of go into this sort of protection shock kind of mode. Um, but once you're going to get over that, you start thinking about what, you know, what life looks like, what's achievable, and I think for anyone who loses the ability to do anything that they, they like, whether it's through in the short term through an injury or, you know, some financial circumstances or ill family members or whatever it is, the first thing that comes in your mind is, well, how am I going to get back to my passions, to the things that I love? Um, and that can be anything, whether it's sport, whether it's, you know, being part of a family, whether it's work, you know, all these things. So, you know, I, I guess... Um, to answer your question, you know, I, I personally I went through that that journey. Obviously, having a having a spinal cord injury in Africa is probably not the best place to to, to have a you know a catastrophic accident. But um, you know, got back to Australia after about six weeks. You know, went through a pretty intensive rehab journey, like a lot of people do. You know, best part of sort of a year a year in hospital and then out out of hospital. You know, years of rehab, um, which continue today, but. I think the key thing for me as a, as a golfer prior to my accident was that um, I had a lot I had a lot of in, had a lot of interests that were like carrots for me. You know, I'm lying there in the hospital in Johannesburg, and you know, I had literally no movement from my head down, and I'm thinking, okay, well, what can I do to start getting back to some of these these passions? And I don't know, maybe you know, the layman in me just thought the only way I can play golf at the moment is in my head. Um, so I used to lie there in, in hospital, you know, playing rounds of golf, you know, pick my favourite course, play shot by shot, hole by hole, 
you know, rounds of golf, believe it or not. And um, how'd you play? I, was, I always shot, you know, five or six under. Nice work. <laughs> yeah. You'd hope so. Otherwise, there might be some other issues to deal with. When you get back to the game. Nice duck, work. Duck hook. I like yes. how it's. Skull. I like how it's always not quite <laughs> just like birdie every hole. Yeah, nah. there's always like you've just scraped a par out somewhere, just you know, just to be a little yeah, bit realistic. In, yeah, up and down, yeah. fairway bunker. <laughs> so look, yeah, I um, just bear with me one sec. Yeah, so I, I was sort of one of the lucky ones that started getting, <coughs> you know, I did get some movement back. My arms started moving a little bit, my legs a little bit, torso, etc. And, and literally, as soon as I could, my right arm was good enough to even, you know, swing an arm. And I thought, I've got one arm, I can, you know, I can surely manufacture some sort of golf swing. So it was a massive carrot for me to get back into life, back into the things that I loved. And I think um, when I got exposed in Australia to this, you know, massive community of people with disabilities, whether they were in, in the hospital next to me or, you know, just generally, I looked at golf as a, as a sport and as a recreation that, again, for some of the reasons we talk about, was very unique. And um, whether you're competing or whether it's just getting out amongst friends or strangers or accessing community, it was just... There's always this positive, positive, positives out there. Um, excuse me. <coughs> so, yeah, so that was really why I actually looked at golf and thought, you know what, at that point there wasn't that much going on from a from a industry point of view. I know I personally had a quite a bad experience. I went down to my local golf club and I, in my wheelchair, I couldn't get into the, into the pro shop because there was a step. I asked, you know, to speak to one of the pros, you know, whether they'd ever, you know, given a lesson to someone with a disability and that was a pretty short conversation. You know, was there any equipment out there that, you know, might get me around the course? So I had a pretty bad experience and I thought, you know, surely I'm not the only person out there who, who wants to get back to golf and um, and Empower Golf was just, you know, set up on the back of a personal journey back to golf and realising that actually we've got this amazing sport. It doesn't have to do that much to make it accessible for so many people and as I said, you know, the people we work with now, I mean, probably 95% of them, you know, will, will never play a competitive round of golf in their life. Um, and a lot of them probably won't even play 18 holes, but just to be able to go out and play a couple of holes or hit balls as a recreation and be part of community or a group, I mean, that's life-changing for them, you know. Mm-hmm. It's very, very simple. You know, we often think, you know, a, a golf pro – your average golf pro is thinking, okay, I've got a, a, a member who's 22 handicapped and they want to get down to, you know, single figures or low teens. You know, we're taking people who might not even feel like they could swing a club and getting them back out on the course or taking them on that journey. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it can be anything to everyone. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, that's why, we, that's why we exist as an organisation and that's why I think so many people have gone on board, whether it's the golf industries or the, the golf facilities to, to make it happen because it's a massive part. You know, one in five people in Australia are disabled, right? So it's a massive community. That Seriously? Not- one in five? Yeah, 20% is the number I've heard. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realise that. That's That comes as quite a shock. Well, Christian Hamilton actually told us that in this podcast. Oh, I did. Richard, he's <laughs> yeah, told he's us so again. much I can't possibly remember all of it. <laughs> James, you mentioned they're not having a terrific experience the first time you lobbed up at your local golf course in your wheelchair. Was it – what was the attitude, though? Was it – no, we don't do any of that, but how can we help you? Or was it, no, we don't do any of that, but sorry, you're out of luck? I think it was a, probably a combination of both. Right. It's, yeah, I mean, look, it's not, you know, it's not anyone's fault. And I certainly, you know, being an able-bodied golfer and then coming to a 
becoming a disabled golfer, you know, I've obviously been lucky enough to look at both ends. So there's never any hard feelings. But, yeah, I mean, look, it's like life. Some people, you know, take that step and want to make, make it happen and, and some, you know, put it in the too hard basket. And to be honest, when you're coming, when you're coming from that, that low base, like can't even get in the pro shop, probably hasn't been taught how to teach someone with disability and there's no equipment, you know, for a club like that to go to all three, it's quite a big step. Yeah. So I think where we've tried to work on with, with clubs and, and now the best way that we sort of articulate to people is just, you know, just take one little step, like run some clinics or, you know, um, ask if your golf pro wants to go and do some accreditation through the PGA where, where there's a module now that, you know, PGA professionals can do that it's a free module two-day module that they can do to, to learn how to teach all abilities golfers so just trying to take those small steps um to to change the landscape a little bit it's not malice generally it's thoughtlessness perhaps mm-hmm. never thought about it before not not interested just never come across it so never thought about it before so and i think i think so many people particularly golf pros and a lot of guys i've spoken to who've worked with james and empower find it as their niche now to teach disabled golfers because do do that module and, and do it once and go, this is the greatest thing in the world because it's so varied in what you're working with and what you're trying to create a golf swing to go out and play. It becomes a real like, – because every teaching pro or golf pro needs a little niche, whether it's working with tour players or working with kids or whatever. And, and some of these guys find such inventive ways to help different golfers um Great which is an amazing which is amazing thing and and a credit to the guys that have worked with empower and everything like that so mm. Tell us a bit well, also Sorry. just to you know to defend the golf industry as well you know, if you looked at the disability community out there and you ask them can they play golf a lot of them would never think that they could no. play golf yeah. either yeah mm-hmm. you know what I mean? so Don't you- it's kind of like a chicken and egg situation well that's interesting isn't it because james you were a, a golfer before your accident i think you were actually you know a very good, good golfer four. What, a four? Is that right? Under the yeah, old handicap no, no, system, no, no. when four was four. Yeah, no, definitely about that. Yeah, um, uh, and, and so you would have known your way around a club environment. Mm. And one of the first things – so clubs for you were possibly not as intimidating as they would be for a golfer with a disability looking to get into golf. Correct. But I, I'm guessing even for you when it came to, you know, a, a few years after your accident when you're thinking about, oh, maybe I'll, I can actually join a golf club again, what sort of considerations came into that? Are you a member of a golf club at the moment? And what was the the uh, the, the selection process like? Um, I, I can imagine it must have been quite a quite an ordeal to sort of work out what's the club that's most suitable for me and how do I yeah, go about doing it? I mean, and, and you're somebody who knows clubs. Sorry. Yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I'm, I'm a member actually of a, of a, of a course up at um, in Blackheath, up in the Blue Mountains, which is a beautiful, oh, you know, country course, lovely golf, course. prettiest, prettiest course in New South Wales, quite possibly Blackheath, particularly yeah. in the autumn, it's beautiful, and, and you can play it four seasons of the year, and you get a very different experience. So um, I love that part, um, and I guess basically because of what we do, I mean, we go, we, you know, we go around and establish facilities, you know, set up inclusive facilities, train golf pros, you know, run programs that, you know. We have done a, hundreds of golf courses around Australia, so I tend to be able, tend to be pretty lucky. Be like you guys, you can get a, a gig at most golf courses if you um, if you make the time. But um, but yeah, certainly the, the the way I'd answer your question is probably the the best golf club that we've worked with nationally over a long period of time has been Longreath Golf Club. Golf club. Um, I know Rod and I met down there a couple of years ago, and um, 
you know, in terms of a, a club that embraces what I think across all the all um, all the aspects of inclusive golf, they, they've been the, the best. And what I mean by that, it's not just can you get in, do they run programs, do they have a trained coach. It's a whole environment when you actually turn up. There's an inclusion sort of mentality from the board all the way down through the members. You know, day one when we had a meeting with them, the first thing they said was, we're going to change all our policies and procedures as an organisation to make inclusion and accessibility and all these things first, you know, a priority in our in our club. And I think that is key because like anything in, in, in life, you know, if you have an ambassador or some sort of champion of a project within an organization and they move on or something happens to them, then the sustainability just doesn't really doesn't work. And I think that's been, you know, over eight or nine years we've been working with Long Reef. You know, they've got a paragolfer down there, they run weekly clinics, they've run inclusive tournaments, they do fundraisers. You know, but the most important thing for me is if someone turns up in a wheelchair or with a walking stick, you know, to get out and play, members just run, you know, to help them. The community is just totally invested. And I know all our golfers who play there, they don't feel they don't feel like they're disabled. They're just part of the community, you know. You go into, they sit down, you know, people go and buy them a beer or, the, you know, it's just a, it's a beautiful representation of what utopia in my mind is for, you know, inclusive communities, let alone golf. Um so it's a long answer to your question where you play golf, but I think it's very worthwhile shouting out long way because they've been That's a big and important golf. question, though, beyond people with disabilities for getting people into golf in general. It crosses over all of that. Sorry, Jimmy. I'd like to point out that last time I was at Long Reef, James was also there with a group of golfers, and I believe he sledged me from another hole as I was playing the hole. So, Were you putting? Yes, I was putting. That's not important. <laughs> that's not a sledge. That's an observation or yeah. analysis, as they call it in the TV industry. Low-hanging fruit. It sure is. It's very low-hanging fruit. One of the things that happens when we talk about inclusion, James, and I can hear people in there out there listening to us rolling their eyes at this notion of inclusion, this and that and the other, doesn't have to exclude anybody, does it? Those who've never been mm-hmm. in a position like yours, oh, we've got to make all these accommodations for these people, and they never think about the fact that actually none of those accommodations affect them negatively at all. We see this with everything, don't we? Everything from gender and sexual dis- you know, exclusion right up to golfers with disability. I'll tell you the great. I'll tell you a great answer to that is I was talking to a, a gentleman um, – who is now lecturing at Columbia in the US? He's a he's a, an Irish paraplegic, and the one the one one thing I think anyone in, in our position is trying to trying to sort of get across is how do you get empathy, or how do you try to get people to understand what we're you know what we're going through? And I think he said it very very simply. He said every single person on this planet is going to be disabled at some point in their life. That's a given. Whether that's you know, you break your leg when you get getting old, you know, if you've got some sort of other ailment. So every single person is going to have a disability at one point for, for either their ongoing or, you know, limited time. And I think if everybody thinks like that, then the awareness and the sort of forethought will actually will start to grow. And I think, as you say, I mean, a lot of – if you said, if you've got an entrance to a golf – like simple, simple examples, if you've got a – an entrance to anything at the front door of your house or a golf club, would you rather go up three steps or a small ramp? Mm. You know? mm. Whether you've got an elderly elderly you know, family member, someone with a pram, it just the whole concept of sort of universal design 
Yes. It's a very good one. You know, it's just designed everything so that everyone can access it once at the start. It just saves everyone and it's it's there doesn't have to be any you know, it's not it's not gonna be more um you know, some you know punitively, you know, cost-wise or anything like that. No, it's just if you're building a new place, simple. if you're building a new place, the, the issues come when it's got to be retrofitted, doesn't it? That's when yeah. it becomes expensive to fix where you've got it wrong in the past, places that don't have lifts, they've only got stairs, like our studio here. Uh, uh, when I was looking for a studio, that was the, the, the biggest negative to this. There's a list of pros and cons, obviously, and the pros were too many, but there are stairs here, James. You couldn't come and sit in the studio with us, and that is it. It's embarrassing and it's wrong. Uh, but it's a yeah, but I'd, I'd definitely get you to have to carry me up the stairs. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. well, Jimmy would be here for that episode, obviously, and so I'd be inside already when you arrive. But, you know, there's the, the, that tends to be the issue. It's the retrofitting. Fixing mistakes is always so much more expensive than not making them. On, on that issue of design, it carries across to the golf course itself, mm. of course. You may, mentioned you, know, you can't get into most bunkers. Uh, I believe... The redesign, also in Sydney's Northern Beaches, the redesign of Palm Beach Golf Course included consideration for golfers with a disability. The bunkers are able to be entered into. The the green surrounds aren't too severe, so you can. That's horrendous. That's punishing people. You can now get into the bunkers. <laughs> You've got to go in there and play. That's an awful thing to do. But that's an interesting point. You still can still. I think it was done by Craig Parry Design. It was. Yeah. You can still make some interesting golf. I, I haven't been up there to have a look at it, but I'm very keen to have a look. I'm going next Tuesday. So right. I will report oh. back. Oh, don't let us disturb you guys making your tea times for next week. No, I'm next Tuesday. I'm going to I'm going to jump in and tell you about something I'm doing next Tuesday that you'll all find very exciting. Okay. Is with you and Porter. Oh. We are going to go and play. Maybe Logue. We haven't invited him yet. We haven't decided. <laughs> but we're going to go play what we're calling the Northern Beaches Public Golf Gala Day, where we're going to play nine holes at Bowgala in the morning, have some breakfast, then nine holes at Avalon, have some lunch, then nine holes at Palm Beach and have some dinner. You and Port has volunteered to drive, so myself and all other players will be not driving. Not driving, yeah. <laughs> Basically, put it that way. But, yeah, so I'll, I'll report back on Palm Beach. There's some be some more sore legs at the end of that, Jimmy. That's some That Avalon is a serious walk. I've worked at Avalon Golf Club. I'm, from, I'm actually free on Tuesdays, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, could, I could probably drive from each course from in the Paragolf from each course. Avalon to Palmy is probably a bit of a push. But yeah, but then now you're just showing me up. Yeah, <laughs> James, tell tell us a bit about the Paragolf. For anybody who hasn't seen it, the Paragolfer is revolutionary, isn't it? It has allowed people like yourself to be able to play golf where it may well likely wouldn't have been possible for most previously. Tell us a bit about the Power Golf and the program, Power Golf and Empower Golf's program of trying to get those Power Golfers into clubs around the country. Probably the best way, you know, for the listeners out there to explain what the Power Golfer is, it's a, it's a off-road, um, multi-terrain electric wheelchair that has the capacity to actually stand an individual up in a supportive fashion to replicate some sort of golf swing so it's a little bit bigger than a, a normal power, power chair it's got a lot wider wheels so that you're not damaging the greens or you know any of the fairways etc and it's built to replicate golf so literally got a little a little sidecar or bag holder so you can get to your clubs a little joystick with a couple of buttons and then once you press one of these once you strap yourself in with a knee brace across your knees and a little chest strap if you need it you can just press a button and it literally leaves you up into the upright position so you can play golf pretty much, you know, as any other golfer would be would be able to. Um, they were designed specifically for golf, but now, you know, we've got a lot of players who use them for all sorts of outdoor kind of stand-up recreation. 
So whether you're talking fishing or shooting or, you know, photography or sport watching, anything that, um, you know, outdoor stand up, you know, people are using them for. I certainly love my fishing, like beach fishing and river fishing. So um, that's a, another great way to use them. But um, they've been around for about 10 years. And when we started Empower Golf, Again, from a, you know, my personal passion, my personal journey back to golf, there was none of these in the country. So mm-hmm. we brought one in as a demo. And, you know, for someone like me and for a lot of our users, you know, they're literally pretty binary. If you have a power golfer, you can play golf. If you don't, you, can. you know, choose another sport, basically. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's absolutely life. I mean, my life with and without golf or any, a lot of our players, I mean, it's, you know, my girlfriend says to me, you know, I haven't played golf for five or six days and I'm, she feels like I get grumpy. She sent me up. She's like, I know you haven't played. You've been playing. Get out and play. So, you know, I think whether it's golf, whether it's reading, whether it's surfing, you know, everyone you know, knows these outlets and um, you know, it makes it even more important for, for people with disability because some of those, you know, sports that might have been, you know, passions, you know, aren't as, aren't as accessible. So, you know, the Paragolf has been a wonderful, wonderful um, piece of equipment that we use and there's about 55, 60 of those across Australia now um, that we've been part of either fundraising for or working with, you know, the insurance companies, the NDIS and some of the, the, the more large you know, schemes across Australia that actually support people with disabilities. That's been, you know, I should probably touch on that, you know, the NDIS, you know, is, is a massive part of what we do as an organisation now, not just with the paragolfers, but funding people with all disabilities to actually access and enjoy golf. So, you know, for anyone out, anyone out there who's got a disability or knows someone with a disability that um, you know, might want to get into golf, what Empower Golf has, has done is become an accredited NDIS provider so that, you know, if Jimmy Emanuel, you know, has an intellectual disability and, you know, wants support to go out and play golf, he can... You know, as part of his NDIS plan, which supports, you know, a lot of his sort of medical needs and an ongoing daily support, he can put in, you know, get funding in his plan so he goes out and has a golf lesson every week or nine holes or whatever it is. It just becomes part of the landscape of his, whether you want to look at his mental health, physical health or, you know, anything in between, which has been, you know, really exciting for for just Australians in general, not just mm-hmm. golfers, that they're funding recreation, which is just a massive part of anyone's life. Um and then really in terms of power, you know, we, we do everything. We do, so we do the NDIS you know, lessons. We do clinics. We employ about 65 golf pros around Australia now who deliver these services on the ground at locations, you know, everywhere. And then we work with facilities to try and get them up this, this curve of inclusion. So as we mentioned, accessibility, running programs, having equipment. So. You know, if I or some other disabled golfer in, in Adelaide wants to go and, you know, learn how to use a gripping solution that we've, that we've come up with or wants to get a lesson or, you know, they'll be able to go to a course in, in Adelaide or, you know, anywhere in Australia where there's a population that, that warrants, um, you know, some sort of support. That's what we've tried to do. Yeah. James, did you once tell me that the, the, the key to the paragolfer is the standing up? It can, it can get you standing up. Did you once tell me that one of the advantages is you could stand at the bar and have a beer with mates after a round? I'm sure you told that, me that. That wasn't me, but it's definitely an advantage. I was just going to say, and, and that kind of sounds silly, but it does make the point, doesn't it? There is no more normal thing to do than stand. Well, that's probably overstating it. <laughs> but you know what I mean? To be able to stand at the bar and have a drink with your mates is a, it's not life-changing, but it's – 
it's a normalcy that you don't see if you're in a wheelchair full time, isn't it? Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I remember even you know, in the simple, you know, taking one step back when my my arm started moving. You know, when I was lying there, the first thing you, you think of is, you know, can I feed myself or can I hold a beer to get to my, to, you know, actually, yeah, feed yourself. I know it's a pretty simple human function, but when you when you lose the ability to do that, that's probably one of the yeah. first things you think of. So, yeah, the extension of that, you know, going, you know, whether it's a beer beer after golf or just you know, any any anything that makes you, you know, I, I'm a six foot five guy. I look down on people most of my life until I break my neck, and I often think that you know part of the punishment this, this injury was you know reverse, reverse situation. So pa- now I'm you know payback. <laughs> I, I look up at people a lot more, but you know now as a paragolfer, I can you know people forget. I just stand back up and look. You know, but it, I'm joking, but it is you know to be able to look. You know, whether it's a business meeting, whether it's something informal, being able to stand up you know, to look someone in the eye or even give someone a proper, you know, a hug, for instance, like none of these weird lean out of your wheelchair sort of side hugs that you have to do um, with family members or, or friends. So simple it, things like that. I was going to say, it rams home something that's difficult to articulate, doesn't it, James, which is the simple things we take for granted are often the most important and you don't realise you're taking them for granted until they're taken away. Correct. And to be able to give those back is... Beyond sort of extraordinary, the paragolfer is truly—it's a game changer for not just golf, but for for people with the sort of disability that you've got. One hundred percent. Yeah, just extraordinary. Uh, lastly, from me, I don't know if the other guys got some questions for you, James. How are you so incredibly upbeat and happy? You'd be entitled to be a miserable grump, given what's happened to you. That's wow. a very, this, very good question. This is coming from Rod, who is a miserable is, grump yeah. and has nothing to <laughs> complain no about. <laughs> yeah, nothing to complain about. <laughs> Oh look, I think I think it's. I've tried to break. I've tried to really try and encap. A lot of people ask me this question, and you know, I ask other people who've gone through different things in their life. I think, look, everybody. The, the first point I make is everybody you know goes through has challenges in life. How we perceive, you know, which ones harder, harder or, or or less hard. You know, that's very personal. But I think for me, I was just lucky that I. I've always loved life. You know, I hate being in bed. I wake up early and I go to bed late. I don't want to miss anything. Like probably the the most catastrophic, you know, case of FOMO that that exists. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I've always just wanted to, you know, go and experience things. And I think that's probably, you know, kept me in pretty good stead. But I think also one of the things when you, when you have a life-changing you know, moment where you have to stop and kind of hit, it's almost like an enforced sort of recalibration of what your life looks like, you get to sort of, even though a lot of the decisions, that you, like a lot of the choices have been taken away from you because of your disability, you also have a, 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 cho- like a, a chance to actually just have a think about how you want to structure your life. And I certainly know that when I was working in London, okay, I was just flat, you know, chasing, I was working in investment banking, I was working really, really kind of long hours and chasing some of these things that, you know, when I sat back, I actually thought, what am, what am I, you know, why am I doing it? And um, and now I've sort of structured my life a little bit more where, you know, I make time for the things that I know make me happy and know that if I don't do them, then I'm going to be unhappy. So for me, you know, golf's one. Um, I love the ocean, so I swim, you know, th- three or four mornings a week. Um, if you hadn't called me last night and asked me to go on this podcast, I would have swam, you know, been in the water at 6 a.m. this morning. We owe you um, one now. Wow. So, 
I think just finding the things that you enjoy in life and making time for those is definitely a great start. But I mean, I think the, the other other thing is just having great you know great people around you. you know, I think whether it was when I first fell, I had you know, just met a random backpacker who you know if I hadn't if they hadn't helped me, you know, I wouldn't have even, even got off the island. Um, and then yeah, having great you know family and friends and just a community that I invest in and they invest in me that they're pretty powerful ways to come. Yeah, upbeat and always, you know, feel like you want to go and you know grab the next challenge. So, anything else from you, Mike? I do. I, I think one of the things that the paragolfer that sort of exemplifies the paragolfer making so accessible is get to get James to talk a little bit about uh, Logan. And I went to Barn Boogle earlier in this year, and everyone talks about that sort of these bucket list things. Mm-hmm. James's recent trip to Barn Boogle mm-hmm. and then also over to King Island yep. is one of the more unbelievable golf trips I've ever heard of. So James can obviously expand, but to get the paragolfer to King Island, I had a chat with Hamo about what they had to do and it fit into the small plane that was going over to King Island by like two millimetres or something. Is that right, James? It, it just like yeah, barely- that's less than a width of a golf ball, that's for sure. Yeah. Wow. To get it actually there so that James- The logistics plus, of all yeah. that, it sound, you've got yourself a caper. That yeah. is a caper. <laughs> that is yeah. it. Well, the, guy, <laughs> the guy that got it onto the plane, they had to just like sort of find oh. something to be able to pop it up and in there and he and Hamo kind of like lifted it. By the time they came back, he'd worked out and built this little rampy wow. thing so that he could get it on and all that sort of stuff. And then they were basically having to pull James off the golf courses because he was so keen to keep playing. Oh, a couple of the happiest days of my life. I was going to say, leave everything <laughs> else aside, mate. How was the Barn Boogle King Island trip? That is bucket list stuff for anybody who's interested in golf. Look, yeah, I mean, probably, probably – one of the most emotional days on the golf course I've had, especially we, we started, you know, as Jimmy said, you know, a lot of logistics went into to making it happen before we even got there. So I think that always, the anticipation, you know, I've heard some people talk about this sort of trip, the King Island and Barbour, where there's this anticipation, yeah. you know, going on small planes, you go to this remote island, yeah. you know, there's normally a crack group of people you're going with. So there's that that lead up and there's this anticipation because everyone says just what an incredible golfing experience they all are. So I think that adds definitely to the whole um, experience, but not knowing that we'd actually physically be be able to do it before we left. Um, Not just the, not just the paragolf for getting to the plane. I mean that we we thought about this trip four years ago and the planes then weren't big enough. So it was just like, we looked at, you know, hiring barges and stuff to go, Farge it over, you know, the Bass Strait from it's Melbourne. A, it's a sickness, yeah. James. It's a genuine <laughs> illness, golf, isn't it? Oh, no, it's just everyone was a, <laughs> a you're a quadriplegic, B, you're trying to just give up. You, know, just you, got, you got two sicknesses there, two disabilities. You've got you're know, a quadriplegic like, and you're oh, a golf nut. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, it, it was. It was when we actually got there, you know, we got on the, like, the plane itself. I mean, even for me, six foot five, there's only three foot, four foot clearance. You know, I don't know what their um, employment strategy is with their staff or their pilots, but they have to be small statured, you know, by default to even get on the plane. So manhandling me, a quadru- you know, 110 kilo, six foot five quadriplegic onto the plane was, you know, just another one of the challenges. And then, you know, these are very remote, you know, especially King Island, they're quite unkept in terms of, you know, the the, the paths and like just getting around the golf course in the paragolfer. Um, you know, loose soil and steep hills and, you know, we had, you know, like everyone who goes down there, wind and rain and 
sand flying out of bunkers in your eyes and, you know, temperature. And so from a physical perspective, as a quadriplegic, you're more sensitive to a lot of those things as well, um, just medically. So, um, you know, just to get out there and be able to do it and just, you know, and I actually shouldn't bring it up, but I actually played, I think I had 40 points on Cape Wickham on the first day, oh, um, yeah. which was, <laughs> makes makes the experience even more pleasurable. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, it was it was a once in a lot, well, hopefully a multiple you know, lifetime trip, but for the first one, you know, having that anticipation and you know, really not being sure that we'd actually be able to do it and all of the time and effort from mates and you know, people in the golf industry, like the guy who borrowed the, yeah, the the, um, the forklift with the para, take the para golfer out of the um, out of the plane on the other end and things like that. <laughs> Doesn't happen with every golf trip, but it was certainly one to remember. Fantastic. And look, I think like everybody who goes to Mambo, I've not been to King Island yet, but I think the thing about it that is extraordinary is it exceeds almost everybody's expectations. Mm-hmm. It's got to a point with those sorts of places now where you're thinking it can't be as good as they're all banging on about, and then you get there and you go. Wow, it's actually better. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it sounds like you had that and forty points. So, yeah, mixed feelings about that. Good on you, but mm, yeah. And to and to anyone who's organising a golf trip and complaining about yeah, something right. like some little issue of someone like myself who doesn't eat certain things, just like <laughs> compare it to that yeah, trip. That's right, James. You give all guys, guys. So I was speaking to the guys from um, from Air Adventures Golf. The guys who helped put it together like yesterday, and he um. He said a couple of the guys who've been sort of umming and ahhing about booking the trip, they're like, oh, yeah, we saw that trip with that quadriplegic. And uh, we thought we'd better book now because we were whinging about, you know, being too old or whatever. So yeah. I think might have given their business a bit of a kick. <laughs> I think anybody who meets you, James, has an immediate perspective adjustment, and that's as it should be because we do, we do a lot of complaining about stuff that we shouldn't. Uh, where can people find yourself and Empower Golf quickly? Logue's going to take some notes. So It'll be in the show notes. In the oh, show notes. Got so brace yourself brace for yourself, uh, a huge influx of traffic <laughs> to your website. <laughs> but, yeah, no, yeah, empowergolf.com.au. Can people help with Empower Golf? Is, it a, is there a charitable arm to pay? Can you donate or is there other ways that you can help out should you want to get involved? Yep. A lot of our programs, we rely on donations to um, to subsidise or, or heavily or, or do pro bono. Yep. Uh, certainly um, everything from clinics, lessons, obviously equipment. And then, um, yeah, like our three, you know, our three major goal, goals is getting out and, and speaking to people with disabilities who don't know that golf's an option. Um, having golf pros sign up and, and help let us help you grow your business, you know, working with people with disabilities. Yeah. And, yeah, finally, obviously the facilities. You know, Palm Beach is a great example. We wrote a grant with them. I think they've got 800K to um, to do this massive course reno- renovation. Um, and we certainly got, you know, multiple courses that have got big funding through, you know, working with us to make the course more accessible, whether it's bunkers, clubhouses, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Um, any of those three that want to you know, get, get involved and, and find out how we can help them, then yeah, reach out. That'd be great. If you're in the golf business, get on board. And if you're really lucky, you'll get to meet James as well, which is one of life's great joys. James, it's been fantastic to chat to you today. It's always terrific to catch up with you. And we appreciate you taking the time, mate. All right. Have a great day, guys. Yeah, you too. Logue, good to have you along. Uh, thanks, Rod. I just want to quickly mention the AAAC is part of the Australian Opens, the Australian All Abilities Championship. Yes, it is. So in addition to the Men's and Women's Australian Open, we've got the Pretty Australian sure All Abilities. Pretty sure was the World Abilities. First, and that was sort of the kicked all that off, and that that's was the right. World First. That's and, right. Um, so there's all three championships running yeah. at the one time now. Fantastic. Which is and fantastic. seriously, do yourself a favour. I don't know if he's coming back, but Juan Postigo played in one 
oh, a few years ago. Now. He the played World in Cup. 2018 at the Lakes. The World, and there was a World Cup. And he played the, the World Cup the following week. And I did a couple of stories with him where he was hitting balls on the range and Brant Snedeker was next to him. Mm, beautiful. And Brant Snedeker stopped and yeah. stood next to me to film it and just turned to me and just goes, that's right. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, and then, Great tempo. And then I think. Juan also did a very good job of some night spots in Melbourne. I was about to say, yes, well, Juan's not a bad-looking bloke. plays good golf and he's flitting around the world, so he's basically a touring player. We, we had a schedule to do an interview yeah. that he sent me a text and asked to just delay a little bit one morning. So, yeah. Well, hopefully Juan might come back. An amazing golf. One leg. And one, yeah, yeah, extraordinary yeah. golf swing. So fantastic stuff. Jimmy, good to have you along as well. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Been great fun as always. That's it for episode 122. We'll be back with 123 next week here on The Good Good. Golf Podcast.